The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. Welcome back, tentacle lovers. I hope this week wasn't too long of a stretch and that you made it back to today's episode without too much grief. Ha! Who am I kidding? I hope you're all miserable in some way. Especially you, Cynthia, who celebrated a birthday. Happy birthday, may you, ick, have many, many more. <laughs> Having to be nice. Ugh. So last week, Maggie, who we all know is really Casey, was sent off to the hospital with Detective Stevens in tow. This week, we open up at the Stevens residence as we start to delve deeper into the story. Quickly, let me remind you that, wait, no graphic violence? Maybe one curse? Who's writing this crap? You know I live for the gratuitous creepiness and violence. I must speak to my agent. Ha! Anyway, this pod still may not be suitable for children under 13. So don't listen, you little freaks. Now, light some candles, turn off the lights, and let us return to the darkness of Tentacle Tuesday with Chapter 2, Jane Doe. An old deep blue Ford Crown Victoria pulled into the driveway in front of a small ranch-style house, the house-slash-home of the Stevens family, a home Jade Moran would classify as country cute. It had white siding with pink trim along the windows, and in the summer months, small rose bushes would bloom under each of these. Warren kept the property meticulous, hedges cut and shaped, the lawn trimmed like a baseball field. Yet, he left a field of wildflowers, set aside just for Karen. She dragged Warren out there when he was feeling sullen, into the center of it, just to have a private picnic. Warren and Karen often invited him over, but he rarely came. No matter how close he was to the Stevens, Jay would feel a little intrusive. He looked over at the gorgeous red maple, now barren with the winter coming. It had been his gift to them when they got married. He could still hear Warren's surprise. A tree, Jay? he said. A symbol of strength and endurance, Warren, he replied. I think it's lovely, Karen laughed and smiled. It was a smile that filled her entire being. That was already six years ago and like their marriage, the tree had grown. A light came on, and immediately Jay's eyes were drawn to it. He hoped he hadn't awakened anyone when he arrived. He followed the lights as they moved room to room. Most likely it was Karen headed to the bathroom. She was six months pregnant, and he was sure the little one was pressing on her bladder. He or she would be born this spring, as the maple blossomed, a symbol of strength and endurance. First, however, they'd have to face this coming winter. He just prayed they'd catch Devin before then. He and Warren were both grateful that the field near the Warrens' home stood between his house and the woods. It would make it difficult for anyone to approach unseen. The porch light came on, and sure enough, Karen was standing in the doorway, waving at him to come in. Jay leaned back and stretched, and opened the door. She put her fingers to her lips, indicating to him to be quiet. Warren must still be sleeping. He, from what she told him, Hadn't been doing much of that lately. She gave him a kiss on the cheek and said, Come on in, Jay. I just put up some coffee, so most likely Warren will be up soon. Has he been sleeping any better? He asked. No, 
He was up over an hour this morning staring at the woods while having a smoke. Jay shook his head. He knew that this case was bothering Warren on a deep fundamental level. The girl they rescued, this Jane Doe they nicknamed Maggie, due to the name bracelet they found on her. They still had no clue who she was. Whatever Devin had been up to, he seemed determined to erase her and his own daughter's existence. It didn't help that a missing persons report hadn't been filed. Why? Who was she? It seemed no one cared. As soon as Warren was up, they both head back to the Winters residence in hopes of finding a clue. Karen placed a cup of coffee in front of him and both looked over at the hall leading to the bedroom. Sure enough, Ed had summoned Warren. He looked at them both. What? Karen laughed and Jay just took a sip. Oh, nothing, he replied. The etching on his mug was accurate to how he felt. Blessed. You look awful, Karen said. Warren grabbed his favorite mug that read, Nope, and saddled up next to Jay. Sorry, hon. It's that same dream again, he replied. Dream? Jay inquired. Oh, he's never told you, Jay? Karen said, nudging her husband. Well, Warren responded, being a little defensive. It doesn't make any sense. How so? It's back before my grandfather died. I was visiting for one reason or another when a woman and a young man appeared at the door. So what's weird about that? Jay asked. She had wings, like an angel. She kept asking me over and over if she could give me a gift. And? And that's when I wake up, he replied. I feel as if I've forgotten something, Warren continued. Something important. Have you gone back to the cottage? And when do I have time to do that? I haven't been up there since he passed away 15 years ago. Maybe it's time you go back. Mabel will restore whatever memory you lost. Warren scoffed. I'm not entirely sure I want to restore those memories, Jay. And then he remembered. 15 years ago was also the time Warren had been orphaned. Something wild had come down from the hills, killing both of his parents. Warren had managed to escape, running over 15 miles. Scraped, battered, and bruised, it was Karen's parents that had found him, wandering that same flower patch that Karen adored so much. Oh, right. Warren gave him a knowing smile. It's all right. As horrible as what happened, it did lead me here and to Karen. Warren took another swig of coffee. Anyway, give me 15, Jay. I'm going to go take a quick shower, and then we'll get underway. Copy, bro. No worries, Jay replied. At least this gives me enough time for another... Pancakes? Karen, you're amazing. Warren leaned back and smiled. And she's mine. Jay laughed, and Warren headed off to get ready as Karen started preparing a plate for Warren. What's on your plate? Jay asked. In a manner of speaking, Karen smiled. I have some homes to show. Montgomery is growing. Well, be extra careful. We still... As if perfectly timed, his cell phone began to vibrate. Uh-oh, that's never good. Warren re-emerged, drying his hair and giving his partner the what's-up look. Moran? Yeah, Riggs. I'm at the Stevens residence. He looked over at Warren. Riggs wants to know why you're not answering your phone. Warren, pouring his second cup. Maybe because some of us like to take baths, Riggs. Warren could hear the sarcastic, Ha-ha! Well, tell him that you'd both get your sorry asses over here. ASAP! Why? What gives? We have an idea on that Jane Doe. 
Juan put down his cup of coffee and looked up at Jay. Oh, who? Not over the phone, Riggs said. The chief wants to keep this quiet. Great. That meant that Jane Doe was someone important, or related to someone important, and he didn't want the local media to know. Not just yet. Okay, Riggs, Jay responded. We'll be there shortly. Warren began to shout, but Riggs cut him off. And yes, tell that pain in the ass I'll put up some fresh coffee for him. Sheesh! Jay closed his phone and smiled. Looks like you've got them well trained. It only took five years. Yes, but you've only been a detective one year, Jay said. Unis only get a monocle of respect. Warren grumbled and returned to dressing. Taking three bites of his pancakes, he kissed Karen on the cheek and headed out. I better get more of a kiss when you get home, young man, she sniped. Warren leaned out the window as Jay began backing up. If you sell that house to the hunters, I'll give you more than that. The gas lights still flickering, illuminating the long steps of the wooden doors above. Five, actually six years, this had been Warren's second home. And although only 30, he had become a detective, mostly at Jay's request. The two had nearly been inseparable since Warren joined the force. So, placing any bets on who she is? Nope, Warren replied. Well, I'm still saying a runaway. That's why it took so long to ID her. Well, that would make sense, Jay, but none of this makes sense. Crime usually doesn't, Warren. You should know that. I do, Warren confirmed. I definitely do. Climbing the stairs and pushing the doors open, they could both see Riggs' bald head gleaming in the lights. To his left and slightly down the hall, a couple sat waiting, and half sprawled out on another bench was old man Cullen. Keeping warm, Ben? He gave them a nearly toothless grin, and Riggs pressed a buzzer, allowing them to enter. The chief is itching to see you. It sure took you long enough to get here, Riggs grumbled. Who's the couple? Are they Jane Doe's? Jay began to inquire, and Riggs immediately shook his head. No, no, they just had a fright. They were driving near the old cemetery by Sims Divide when they thought they saw a... And at this, Riggs pulled them in closer. A monster! It was obvious Riggs was trying to hold back his laughter. Jay shook his head, and Warren chided him. You sure it wasn't your... He was going to say his wife, but Riggs stopped him. Don't, Stevens! Pointing his finger directly at his chest. Or next time I make your coffee, we'll have something extra in it! Warren made the who-me face, and Jay laughed. He's got you pegged, Jay said and the two made their way down the hall and arrived in front of Chief Jason Reynolds' office. Jay knocked. Come in, a gruff voice replied. They opened the door to see the thick graying hair of Chief Reynolds facing them, his face plastered in a stack of files. Looking up, his smoky black skin and deep brown eyes seemed almost to blend in with the office, the walls a light beige, and the desk a deep red brown. Next to a pile of files sat an old black telephone a brass lamp with a green lampshade. His eyes seemed to brighten as he pointed to the two leather seats sitting in front of his desk. Please, sit, Chief Reynolds said as he pulled a file out and he handed it to Jay. Recognize the name? Arnold and Julie Monroe. Yeah, Jay replied. Arnold's an architect and his wife wrote a few mystery novels back in the 80s. Bingo. And the girl at the sanitarium is their daughter Casey. Warren and Jay looked at each other and then back at the chief. Wait, what? Warren began. I thought the Monroes left for Europe, Jay exclaimed. When I last spoke to Arnie, he was bubbling with excitement. Well, the chief continued, 
They never left. On the day they were supposed to go, Casey decided she didn't want to go with them and decided to stay at the Winters instead. She was a lifelong friend of Lindsay. They dropped her off and then went home before catching their flight. And how did you find this out? Warren asked. Their maid, Constance Brooks, returned to the residence last night. She had been given leave to take a two-week vacation while the couple was away. With them being due back in three days, she returned to start putting the house back in order. At first, she didn't notice anything out of place, just an unusual smell that seemed to permeate throughout the household. Ignoring it at first, she cleaned the bedrooms and went out to the garage to take out the trash. That's when she found what was left of Mr. and Mrs. Monroe, still sitting in the car in their garage. Oh, God. Jay shook his head in disbelief. He had gone to school with Arnold. I've had a team over there since 3 a.m. The medical examiner, Frank Giles, is doing a toxology report, and Detective Bell has been there since about midnight. And this maid? Warren asked. After Henry took his report, he sent her home. We can reconnect with her later. For now, she's in tremendous shock. She was the one who put us on to Casey being at the Winter's home. Devin must have killed them first and then returned home to claim his prize, Warren said. What a sick fuck, Jay added. That's what we're figuring too, Chief Reynolds replied. Jay, Warren, I want him caught. Turn over every lead, even the most innocuous ones. Yes, sir, the two men stood up. Warren looked over at his partner. I'd say a monster near a cemetery is pretty innocuous. Very, Jay confirmed. The two detectives returned to the lobby, but the couple had gone. Riggs, where's that couple? Jay asked. They've gone home, Riggs replied. I have their statements here if that's what you're looking for. That will do for now, Jay replied. Warren started flipping through it. He immediately recognized the names of the paths that led to the cemetery. Lore and Rook's path winded their way through the woods. One headed towards Bloody Run Creek, but Rook's path went directly to the cemetery. Devin could be hiding somewhere along these paths, maybe in one of the abandoned foundations he used to play fort in as a child. What about the cottage itself? Jay asked. You don't think... Warren hadn't. Why hadn't it occurred to him that Devin could be using his grandfather's abandoned house? I guess I'm going home after all, Warren said. They took the report and file. They would get Devin tonight, if it killed them. So Devin's been a really naughty boy, killing his wife, daughter, and apparently Casey's parents. What a sicko! I must admit, I admire his style. <laughs> and what strange news is this? A monster? By a cemetery? Could it be? Oh, who knows? What I do know is that you should tune in next week for Chapter 3, The Monster on Bethel Street. I wonder whatever that title could mean. 